the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. The shipping industry is not moving quickly enough. Now, I know that's not going to come as a shock to regular listeners who have suffered me banging on about this for quite some time. But it's not just me that's saying it. The headline takeaway from the Lloyd's List annual Outlook Forum that we held last week is that the pace of change towards a zero-carbon future, and all that entails right now, is a problem. It's a problem for all of us. Now, the Outlook Forum, for those of you who missed the live event, is our end-of-year extravaganza. It's the point at which I invite some of the most influential figures in the industry to join me for a discussion about the forces that are shaping shipping and the risks and opportunities that are going to be driving our businesses into 2023. As ever, this year we had an all-star cast featuring Carrie Troth, the head of shipping at Shell and number 12 in the Lloyd's List Top 100. We had Rasmus Back-Nielsen, global head of decarbonisation at Trafigura, number 13 in our Top 100. We had Christopher Wiernicki, chairman, president and chief executive of Class Society ABS. And we had Magda Kopczynska, a director at the European Commission, who, along with a cast of her colleagues from within the EU, can be found gracing the number one slot in our top 100, and therefore can lay claim to being the most influential person in shipping this year. Now, you can and should listen to the entire discussion on demand for free via loyslist.com, but I know you're all busy people, so I wanted to bring you a few edited highlights here and whet your appetite. But I also wanted to stress this point about pace, because you're going to be listening to this as government representatives are gathered in London at the IMO for the MEPC, the Marine Environment Protection Committee meeting. And if ever there was a time to be reinforcing the need for speed in decision-making, this week is it. So I'm going to start with Carrie Troth from Shell, who led the charge against shipping's somewhat sluggish approach when I asked her my standard opener at the moment. What's keeping you awake at night? Industry's not moving quickly enough. It is that simple. 2050 is one ship cycle away. Um, and we have to build momentum now. So you can you can use the Bill Gates analogy of a bathtub and all of the, the CO2 emissions that we're making continue to fill the bathtub. And until we can get to a point that we stop filling the bathtub, we need to fill it slower. We need to reduce the emissions, whether that's through energy efficient technologies, efficient operations or making the best choices we can today with lower carbon fuels. So the first thing that really keeps me awake at night is we're not moving fast enough. We're all waiting and we're all watching each other to see what someone else is going to do. Um, And then the other one that keeps me awake at night that I think we don't talk about enough is safety. With the challenges that are going to come, introducing new fuels, introducing new technologies, continued disruptions, in our shipping lanes, continued disruptions in the ability to move seafarers on and off of vessels. Um, It is so incumbent upon us as the leaders of this industry to keep safety front and center um, as we look to make these structural changes in the industry that we need to. So thank you. We have to move faster and take care of our people while we do it. Now, I'm going to get to the point about safety because there were some important points raised, but the point about pace was picked up by all our speakers. So I want to focus on that because I think it gets to the heart of the matter. 
The reason I invited Magda Kopczynska onto the panel was the same reason that we put the EU in the lead on the top 100 this year. Whether you agree with it or not, Europe has moved decisively to regulate shipping's emissions this year, and by showing the world how to set legally binding targets to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it has set a challenge for the IMO and everybody else to follow. So, the question for Magda was really quite simple. Is the IMO doing enough to reduce shipping's emissions? <sighs> well, sorry. <laughs> sorry for the sigh. It's a complicated question. I'm, I'm not losing hopes that if you ask that question in next year's outlook, a reply, the reply will be different. It, it has taken a while for the IMO to, and here I'm talking about the community, to sort of acknowledge that something has to happen. And I think once that acknowledgement is there, hopefully confirmed with an, with an rather ambitious wording in the strategy, as you said, somewhere around zero, the EU is asking for phasing out emissions by 2050. Uh, once that acknowledgement is there, and once there is an agreement that it's not only about the wording of the strategy, but about pointing to specific measures that have to accompany that strategy, once that happens, things will start moving fast, but there are or at least faster. But I think at, at this moment, I would I would be probably somewhere a bit, bit, bit. Yeah, I, 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 I always wanted wanted IMO to move faster because that also would have made my life easier at the European level, because you can imagine how many times I'm answering that question. Why do we go for a regional solution and not for a global one? The answer to that question about why push ahead with a regional measure when everybody agrees that a global measure is required is again about pace. And here Magda is explicit. The EU has moved ahead because they could. The required, they required the pace of change that was not going to happen if they sat back and waited for the IMO, just wasn't going to cut it. But there's also the reality that their decision has effectively acted as a catalyst for accelerated change within the IMO, and that's happened already. There is actually a huge, a huge uh, positive added value from what we are doing at the EU level uh, when it comes to the IMO discussions. If you, if you, if you talked, if you talked um, a couple of years ago in the IMO about what could be the possible midterm measures when it comes to decarbonisation, basically everybody was talking MBM, market-based measure, price on carbon. That's it. But ever since we came up with fuel EU maritime proposal, that looks ex explicitly at what needs to be done to push for the uptake of alternative fuels, we managed to bring that discussion into the IMO. And we, we now have this discussion on fuels on, on, on fuel standard, which for many countries in the IMO is, is an important element or even, you know, the element that can even be easier to agree upon than, than the money element. Although, again, we do believe we need both. So I, I often say that, you know, just, just look at what we are doing as a test. And the moment we put it in place with all the necessary elements for monitoring, reporting, compliance, enforcement, then just cut and paste it into the IMO level uh, regulation. Again, it's easier in a, in, a, in, a, in a smaller group of countries with a very, very clear political commitment on all levels that something has to be done. So we did it. But that doesn't mean that we don't want to see it reflected as fast as possible and as quickly as possible at the IMO level. The significance of what the EU has managed to do here is pretty seismic. They have pushed the agenda forward. And the fact that there will be a cost increase means that there is going to be a behavioural change. 
And we need a behavioural change, and in the view of Rasmus Bach-Nielsen from Trafigura, it needs to cost serious money. His point was that the pace that we're talking about here was very much coming from Europe. But he seemed less optimistic than Magda and her slightly more diplomatic optimism suggested. I think EU is injecting pace, and that's why it's great what EU have done. Just to go back a little bit, I think that IMO members have not understood what it takes to decarbonize shipping. It's, they've been coming from a political angle, thinking own interests, individual country interests, rather than seeing the, the global macro scale. And this is one of the big obstacles that we've had. It's an obstacle because, as Rasmus has argued pretty consistently, in order for the industry to move on and find that pace in terms of decarbonization, it needs a carbon price. But the details matter. There's no point in getting a half-baked IMO agreement on net zero for 2050 if the details for 2030 don't support a robust carbon price that the industry can actually use and plan for. We need, we need it now. And, and it's, it's like a little bit like a broken record. The challenge the industry has, we will not have the fuels available to scale because the hydrogen that we so desperately need will be taken by other hard to obey industries. So we need to mature our demand curve immediately. And, and we both have a privilege and a con. We have one global regulator, and that regulator needs to make the decision. So that's both the plus and the minus, because if it doesn't manage to make that regulation, shipping will be left behind the other hard to obey industries. But we need it, and we need it now. And if we get it, then I'm very optimistic that shipping can achieve its decarbonization targets. Now, I said I was going to get back to safety, and that's not quite the U-turn it might sound like, because I'm glad to say that safety actually permeated almost all of the conversation about decarbonisation at this year's forum. And that's good news, because as regular listeners will know, it's something that's been concerning me a lot this year. The rapid development of multiple fuel infrastructures and technologies that we've been talking about, I'm afraid to say that safety is only coming along as something of an afterthought too often when we're having these discussions. But that is now finally changing. I ask the panel and the Loiseless readership the same question every year when we do these forums. Has the industry taken its eye off the ball when it comes to safety? Now this year, 66% said no. And that's about the same as last year's poll. It was around 63% last year. But that means about a third of our respondents think that we have taken our eye off the ball. The point that we were discussing during the forum is that safety is not just about technology. It's about people. It's not just about age and experience, it's about skills and continuous learning and how we prepare our people, who are going to be the the real heroes going forward, uh, that the next 10 years is going to be critical with respect to safety, because safety is not just about fuels, it's synonymous with security and reliability. And as Chris Viernicki from ABS pointed out, it's a boundary condition. It's something that we must not take for granted going forward. When we talk about the safety, it's not so much IMO, but the safety challenge. It is not a regu- just a regulatory story, it's everyone's story. But I would say, and I think it's important because that safety story has kind of two pieces to it. It's that forward-looking piece, which we are all talking about right now. But we really should not forget existing safety regulations. And I would again bring up that SOLAS Quite honestly, an existing safety regulation needs to be modernized because it needs to be able to handle what we see going forward. And I actually believe also ISM is going to be a very, very important fabric 
in terms of the future of alternative fuels. So as we talk about 2030, 2050, and yes, we probably need a 2040 uh, guidepost in there somewhere. We should not forget about what we already have on the table that needs to be modernized um, uh, in order to be able to allow us to handle what we see going forward. Because safety, quite frankly, is synonymous with not just people, but with security and reliability going forward. Carrie Troth from Shell has already pointed out that safety is one of the two things that keeps her awake at night. And that's not just the systemic risk that decarbonisation is injecting into the industry, although that is part of it. Her point is that people are required to achieve any of the goals that the industry has set itself, and we're not looking at that in enough detail yet. I, I'm pretty certain that I'm in the no camp on this, or yes camp, that, that we're not paying enough attention to safety. For the vast majority of the operators in our industry, today's challenges need additional attention, whether it's the operations of the vessel, whether it's the routine things, the alarms, the spurious alarms that go off on a ship that cause someone to go forward on deck in the middle of a storm, take green water, shipping water, whatever you call it, across the bow and be fatally injured. That's the kind of thing that has been happening for decades in our industry, Richard. So I think there's there's today and the, the human element and the human factors that go into operating a vessel safely compounded by the future, compounded by the complexity you talked about, compounded by the new technologies, the new regulatory requirements, the additional reporting uh, that's put on the captain and the chief officer, the, the demands that we see, the demands that our seafarers see today are so much greater than when any of us on this call went to sea. And that takes a toll mentally, that takes a toll physically. And when our seafarers aren't at their best, mentally or physically, that's when you start to have systemic risks creeping through. So I think um, we talk about safety. I think there's so much more we should do about safety. We should have a whole Lloyd's List uh, future outlook forum about safety and the risks that we have coming, because quite frankly, without that human being in the system, nothing that we're talking about today can get done. That is an idea we are actively considering here at Lloyd's List. So watch this space in 2023 and we will see what we can do in terms of creating a new safety forum. But before we get there, I wanted to end the podcast with the point in the outlook where I ask our panellists to get their crystal balls out and take a look into the future, specifically what the industry looks like by the time we get to 2030. Here, I started with Magda Kupczynska. First, I, I think it will be a different industry. It will be a different industry in terms of grasping uh, the challenge and promise and offer of decarbonization. But I also hope that it will be a different uh, industry in terms of really showing leadership when it comes not so much to technology and the way the sector is organized, but when it comes to people. We didn't talk about people that much. Carrie touched upon it, but I think the big part where I would really like to see the industry to lead is to push for governments of all countries in the IMO, that when it comes to STCW revision, when it comes to Maritime Labour Convention, when it comes to taking care of people, we have to do better. 
because otherwise the shortages and, and problems with getting people to be willing to come on boards will, will become even bigger. I know you wanted optimism, so I still believe that the industry will do it, but I think this is, this is a bit of a missing uh, topic in many of the conversations I'm having. Next to get his crystal ball out was Rasmus Back-Nielsen from Traffic Euro. We will have uh, zero emission ships on the water. Uh, one step back, I know we some time, the best investment, dual fuel methanol or ammonia fuel ships in 2023. Uh, thereafter, second hand fuel efficient ships, there will be a carbon pricing penalty. It will come and it will change behavioral change. Uh, Ammonia over time will be cheaper than, ammonia, uh, than methanol. So in 2023, we will see first ammonia fuel ships, and in 2024, we'll probably see ammonia fuel ships overtake methanol. Next up with his view of 2030 and shipping is Christopher Vernicki from ABS. Well, I, I think uh, as, as we move forward, you're going to see two shipping stories begin to develop. You're going to see shipping for shipping, which is what we talked about, the decarbonization for shipping. But I think you're also going to see shipping for the world, and you're going to see shipping become more of a, of a part of the solution and an enabler. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that. But getting into shipping for shipping, I believe you're going to see uh, more uh, LNG dual fuel vessels. Uh, I think they will uh, dominate the ordering. I think methanol is going to be advancing and gaining uh, gaining traction, especially now that the engines are available. I think ammonia is going to be developing and emerging uh, again as a result of the engines. I think you're going to see a lot more biofuel piloting. As I mentioned, you're going to see a lot more focus on retrofits. You're going to see uh, more focus on infrastructure and ports. I believe you will see regulatory convergence. I believe that uh, uh, between the EU and the IMO around 2026, 2027, you're actually going to see that regulatory convergence uh, moving forward. I think when you look at shipping for the world, I think you're going to see very interesting uh, developments. I think you're going to see ammonia, hydrogen, and we didn't talk enough about carbon capture, LCO2, as actually cargoes. We talk about them as fuels. I think you're going to see some the development of that story in terms of uh, those fuels actually being uh, cargo markets uh, for shipping uh, going forward. I think you're also going to see more focus on ISM, uh, based and again echoing what Magda and Kerry said. And uh, I think you're going to see the beginning of looking back and looking at existing regulations and beginning to pull them forward to be able to keep up with uh, what we see as we turn the corner in 2030. And last but not least, I'm going to end where we started with Carrie Troth from Shell. Hey, crystal ball, the IMO has set that pace of change for industry to beat a net zero by 2050, maybe even earlier. The vast majority of the order book will be alternative fuel vessels. And by 2030, we'll see zero carbon vessels being built and starting to come on the water. Um, there will be a hugely in, increased uh, deployment of those innovative technologies, the energy efficient technologies and the operational efficiencies, digital solutions. Um, we will see a growth of the global hydrogen supply chain. So in addition to the liquefied CO2 um, cargo chain that Chris mentioned, we'll also see hydrogen. We'll see hydrogen uh, beginning to look a lot like liquefied natural gas does today. Um, our safety performance will have improved. 
We won't have a conversation where I say we're not doing enough and we don't care enough about our human beings and the seafarers on our vessels. And I really thank Magda for talking about attracting people to this industry because we will see a more diverse and a more engaged workforce by the end of the decade. And that is where we will leave it for another week and another year. My thanks to all the panellists from the Outlook Forum this year and to all of the Lloyd's List readers and listeners to this podcast who contributed to the Outlook poll, full results of which will be available online on lloydslist.com within the next week. Next week, we have a very special guest on the podcast. I'm not going to reveal who, but I would urge you all to make sure you make an extra special effort to download Friday's edition. Then we will be having a quick Outlook with the whole of the Lloyd's List team as they get their crystal balls out and give you a view of what's going to be keeping them awake at night next year. Then we're going to be taking a short break over the festive period and we'll be back again with you in January. But for now, thank you for listening and have a good week. 